from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Be sure to visit our ministry website, where we have a great collection of digital, audio, video, and print resources. It's all available online at djkm.org. It has been said that history tends to repeat itself. For example, in late June, during the summer of 1812, Napoleon Bonaparte led his army with approximately 450,000 men into Russia. But instead of engaging in battle, the Russians retreated, burning their own villages and towns and the crops as they fled. As the cold weather set in during the early winter, Napoleon began losing troops by the thousands due to freezing temperatures and starvation. Napoleon was forced to retreat to Poland, arriving with a mere 10,000 men and suffering a devastating defeat. Do you know who else invaded Russia in late June, nearly 130 years later? It was Adolf Hitler. Both invasions started too late in the summer and ended because of the harsh conditions of Russian winters. George Santayana surmised this phenomenon when he said, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. And that's true spiritually as well, isn't it? Throughout history, mankind has continually forgotten one of the most important things. God's grace cannot be bought and cannot be earned. It is a free gift. In each era of church history, that truth has been threatened with obscurity. That's why we must know our own church history, so that the errors that have been overcome at great cost in the past are not repeated again. As we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, let's look at the man who tremendously changed the times in which we live, recapturing the biblical gospel and launching a world transformation in the process. Here is Dr. D. James Kennedy with his sermon, Luther, 500 years later. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the first chapter of the Epistle to the Romans. We shall begin our reading chapter 1, verse 8. May we hear the word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you, 
that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so that as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And may God, by his spirit who inspired these words, illumine them to our hearts and minds today. Amen. Today is Reformation Sunday. So let us see what we might learn from this perspective of 500 years later concerning Martin Luther. Before we look at his life, we might consider this, that God preached the gospel, we are told, in the New Testament unto Abraham. The gospel of grace was revealed unto him 1900 years before Christ was born. And in those following 1900 years, we see that the Jews gradually let slip this concept of the grace of God, a concept which it seems so difficult for mankind to hold, a concept that salvation is free, that it is gratuitous, that is graciously bestowed by a loving God, irrespective of any merit or goodness or striving on the part of men that eternal life is not a wage but a gift. This, it seems, is something very difficult for man to hold to. And so by the time 1900 years had passed and Christ had come, we see that Judaism had degenerated into Pharisaism, and there was a minute code of do's and don'ts which regulated the lives of people, and after a vain striving, for salvation by human work. But Christ came in the fullness of God's time and once more revealed the glory of the gospel in its fullest manifestation. Christ died and rose again from the dead and this new message of life through the death of Christ, of salvation through the righteousness of another, this message spread throughout the entire Roman world and finally in less than 300 years overthrew the greatest pagan empire the world had yet seen. And the gospel of Christ had free sway. And yet it wasn't too many centuries after that that this too was again lost. And the dark ages ensued and the gospel was buried under a great pile of debris. 
the concepts of human merit and human earnings and human workings again crept in until they made a huge mountain under which was buried the precious jewel of the gospel of grace. And by the time that Luther was born, there was scarcely a person in a thousand that had a clue as to what the gospel really meant. And then, of course, Luther and the other reformers brought it to light again, and that message transformed nations. Indeed, we see that the fate of nations for the centuries to come was going to depend to a great extent upon the attitude which they had toward this new revelation of the gospel of grace. Those that accepted it grew to great prominence. Those that rejected it receded into the backwash of history. But now 500 years has passed, and we see this, that we Protestants, so-called, have very little to be proud about. It took the Jews 1,900 years to lose it. It took the Catholics 1,500 years to lose it. It took us less than 500 years to lose it. And today, I am confident that not one Protestant in five has the foggiest notion of what Luther was all about or what the great doctrine of justification by faith is all about. Martin Luther was sent to study law at great sacrifice to his parents. And while he was at the university, beginning to prepare himself to be a lawyer, as so many other men greatly used by God had started their lives to be a lawyer, it was one day while he was walking with a friend out in the open fields and the sky was dark and overcast and there was thundering and lightning. And as they rose up over a small hill, when they reached the top of the hill, suddenly there was a deafening crash and a blinding flash and lightning struck Luther's friend right at his side, killing him instantly, throwing Luther onto his face in the mud. And terrified, he lifted up his face in his hand and said, Help, Saint Anna, and I will enter a monastery. And so that bolt of lightning coming right out of heaven was that which directed Luther to a course which would eventually bring him to understand, discover the great truth of justification. So he entered the Augustinian monastery. And he had but one thought at that time, and that was that he might become right with God, that he might be accepted by an all-holy God. But since in those dark days of little spiritual understanding, it was generally held that this would be attained by man's own spiritual strivings, by his fastings and his prayers and his penances, and his efforts of one sort and another, that Luther gave himself with a vehemence to accomplishing these things. He prayed almost unceasingly. One time he prayed for six weeks without eating and practically without sleeping, only sleeping every three or four days for a few hours. And still he found no peace with God. And then 
He tried to punish his body in order that he might atone for his sins. And so taking a whip, he would flagellate himself until he would be found unconscious in his cell by his fellow monks in a pool of blood in the morning. And still he found no peace with God. And then he determined to go out into the deep snow in the dead of winter in Germany and there naked spend the entire night trying to make himself pure enough to live in the presence of a holy God. Still, he found no peace with God. Finally, Luther went to Dr. Staupitz, who was the head of his monastery and one of the men who in those days of exceeding spiritual gloom held some light of the meaning of the gospel. And Staupitz said to Luther, look to the wounds of Christ and not to your own righteousness. And Luther was stunned by those words. And they were to haunt him. He didn't fully understood what they mean, what they meant. But he began to teach the scriptures. And there came that time when for the first time in his life he found in the library a complete Bible. He had only seen the prayer book with the small passages of scripture that it contained and like most people in his day did not even know that a Bible existed. He felt that he had found a great treasure house of divine scripture and he meditated upon them day after day. There is indeed a picture at the convent of Erfurt of Luther as a young man, 24, eagerly reading a Bible. And if you look closely on that Bible, you can see those electric words that were to change his life and change the world. The just shall live by faith. He read those and he puzzled over them and he could not understand what they meant. The just shall live by faith. Words that are inscribed on the front of this pulpit and words that one day were to be inscribed in the very heart of Martin Luther. But Luther did not yet understand those words and he was sent by his monastery to Rome. He was eager to go because he thought that Rome must be a city of saints and angels. But when he got there he was tremendously disappointed. He heard it said by other priests that if there were a hell, then surely Rome was built upon it. And he found while he said one mass, they said three or four. But he still ran eagerly as a pilgrim from one shrine to another, saying his prayers and trying to earn as many indulgences as possible. Finally, he came to the Lateran staircase, the Scala Sancta, as it's called, the stairs upon which Jesus stood in Jerusalem when he was condemned by Pontius Pilate, which had been brought to the city of Rome. And there he crawled up those stairs on his knees, as I myself have seen people to this day doing, and reciting his rosary, kissing each step as he went. But as he reached the center of that long staircase, finally it seemed to come back to his mind again that text which he had read and puzzled about so long. The just shall live by faith. 
and it seemed that those words grew and expanded until they resounded throughout his whole soul and mind and being. The just shall live by faith. And finally it seemed that they thundered so that the whole church was filled with the echo of the words. The just shall live by faith. And suddenly the curtains were drawn back from Luther's mind and he saw and he understood that men are justified by faith, that men are made just in the sight of God and accepted by God by faith in Jesus Christ. And suddenly he leaped to his feet and looked around him as if a man waking up from a dream. And he wondered at what depths of superstition one could descend. And he ran down the stairs and returned to the city of Wittenberg. And he began to teach the scriptures, and he began to teach the gospel of Christ. But of course, there was a double response. There was tremendous enthusiasm on the part of many, but there was growing opposition, since he was teaching an idea which in the Middle Ages was not accepted, which was considered to be new and heretical. And then he was told to come to Worms, the city of Worms, and there he was to meet with the imperial diet, and he was to answer for his teaching. He was urged not to go. Remember John Huss, they said, who a hundred years before for teaching virtually the same thing had been burned alive and given no opportunity to defend his teachings. He said, though the devils be as many as the tiles on the rooftop, I will go to Worms. And so, he made his way slowly across Germany until he came to the city of Worms, which was filled to overflowing with thousands and thousands of people who had come. And finally, after a long wait, he was ushered in to the great hall. And there before him was seated Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, and beside him the representative of the Pope. And then there were princes of Germany and all of the states of the Holy Roman Empire were gathered. A great throng of people, all of the most noble and important and powerful people of Europe were there. And Luther was escorted to the center of this great room. And there in the center there was a table, and on that table there was a large number of books. And then, speaking for the emperor, someone said, are these books yours. He looked at them quickly and then said, yes, they are mine. And then came the feared question, will you recant? And suddenly the picture of Huss tied to a stake surrounded by flames leaped into his mind. No opportunity to debate. Luther asked for some time to consider his answer. He was so stunned that his knees grew weak. He retired for the evening to give himself to prayer and meditation and wrote to a friend that by the grace of God he would stand fast. The next day they assembled once more. And he said, 
In some of these books, I have written things which all Christians everywhere of all persuasions agree, such as books on the Lord's Prayer. Would you have me to recant these? I cannot recant those. And they said, we want an answer without horns and without hoofs. And so finally, Luther Prest said, my conscience is bound by the word of God unless I am refuted and convicted by the Holy Scriptures, I cannot and I will not recant anything. The whole room went into an uproar. Shouts, heretic. He declared that the councils had erred. You cannot prove it, they shouted. He said, I will if you let me speak. The cries went up to burn him. Finally, Luther spoke again. I can do no other. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. This summer, I stood in Worms and looked down at a plaque on the ground which said in German, Here stood Martin Luther for God and country. A very simple statement, but so true. A man who was willing to give his life for the truth of the gospel of Christ. He was condemned to be taken and burned. He was given 20 days to recant, after which his life was forfeit. He was, as you know, kidnapped by friends and hidden out at Wartburg Castle in the Thuringian Mountains where he translated the Bible into German and then came out again to lead the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. The summary of all of the great truths of Scripture concerning man's salvation, an epitome of the gospel of Christ itself found in that simple string of monosyllables. The just shall live by faith. Late in his life, he was asked about that text, and he said that it was a veritable gate into paradise, that it was an open door into the very paradise of God that had brought an abundance of peace and joy and happiness and confidence into his life. When he learned to cease trusting in himself and start trusting in the perfect righteousness of Christ, in the perfect life and obedience and the perfect atoning death of Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. I trust that that faith is yours today. May we pray. Father, we pray that after these 500 years, that great message brought to light once more in Luther's day may not be lost upon us, that we may not dwell in our own personal dark age but that the light of Christ may burst upon us and the glory of Christ may fill our hearts 
is we turn from our own righteousness to trust in the righteousness of Christ and rejoice in thee as we enter into the very gates of paradise through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Martin Luther was trying to earn his way to heaven when he came upon Romans chapter 1, verse 17, which says, The just shall live by faith. It was then that he realized that he was totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. And he stopped his striving to be good enough to get into heaven and placed his trust firmly and only in Jesus Christ for his salvation. Do you have that assurance that you'll be with God in heaven someday? If not, pray with me this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, I place my trust in you. Please forgive me of my sins and cleanse me and make me brand new. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In your name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to send you Beginning Again, which is precisely what you're doing. Inside, you'll find helpful tools, including the book of John from the New Testament. I recommend you read a chapter a day, which will help you begin to grow in your new faith. To receive your copy of Beginning Again, just write to our address or call our toll-free number. God bless you as you do. Dr. Kennedy perfectly paints the picture of the importance of what Martin Luther did and how it is relevant for us today. Dr. Kennedy believed it was vital that Christians understand the theological and historical implications of biblical truth for them to be able to be salt and light in the world. We've recently compiled a series of some of his best messages into the brand new Kennedy Collection hardcover book titled, How I Know. In this book, Dr. Kennedy covers such topics as how I know the Bible is the Word of God, how I know Jesus is God, and how I know Christ rose from the dead. These are central points of the Christian faith, and every Christian needs to know them. We want to send you this important book as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. This is a resource you don't want to miss out on. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org. Each of the messages in this book deals with a subject that should be essential biblical knowledge for those who profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ as well as for those who are seeking to know Him. This series of messages is also available on DVD or audio CD where you can hear Dr. Kennedy deliver them in the clear, powerful way he spoke from the pulpit for nearly 50 years. We'll send you the hardcover book and the four DVD or four CD set, How I Know, as our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call us toll-free at 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. 
www.djamescannadyministries.org. At D. James Kennedy Ministries, we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.